Anyway, here we've got more work to do. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 5 today. That's where we're going to be. Ephesians 1, verse 5. We are studying God's investment in you. And wow, what an investment he's made. This chapter tells us so. And we go through it and uh, uh, learn it. And I pray that it motivates us. Because behind his investment is the fact that you have everything you need to serve him. Everything. You're not missing one thing. And I hope that our study in Ephesians 1 convinces you of that uh, and motivates you to serve him all the more. So today we're going into verse number 5, and we're going to look at uh, these words. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Heavenly Father, as we begin our, our time now in your word, as we focus upon it, we start with a thankful heart. Thank you that you have written this down for us to see it, that we may learn from it today, that we may be challenged by it today. Lord, that we might be corrected as well, if there is need to be corrected, challenged, but especially, Lord, that we might uh, serve you as we are called to do so. May these words motivate us. May they change us. And as we submit to you today, as we sit at your feet and learn from you, we ask that you would do your great work in each of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for the joy it is to read these words. And I pray that you're just do your work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. The other day I was listening to Psalm 66. Listening to it because I have it on my little phone thing, whatever you call those things, iPhones or whatever. It doesn't hook up to a phone. It's, it just plays things for me. And, and here I'm listening to uh, Psalm all the way through the book of Psalms. And 66 was being read probably while I was having breakfast. Uh, I like to do it then. And, and a verse was read in the middle of Psalm 66 or closer to the end. It said this, this simple phrase. It said, Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I thought, what a great phrase. What a great thing. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul soul. When's the last time you told somebody what God has done for your soul? He said, come and hear what God has done for my soul. Just in, in the way we prepare for sermons and, and studies, there's, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. A lot of uh, research done in a passage, like Ephesians 1. <laughs> the level you can, can dig to in this chapter, every time you say, boy, I finally got it figured out, it goes deeper still. And we keep digging and digging and digging deeper and deeper into the passage. And, and we understand that our theology is based on passages like these. The words are significant. The, the expression before us is quite significant. And I know it's possible to teach it all on a very academic level. I do that, and I like doing that. But at the same time, as much as we, we need that education... Just presenting it to you as the psalmist said in that psalm, 
I will tell you what great things he has done for my soul. That's his passage. That's the way Paul's expressing it here. This is what the Lord has done for me. This is what the Lord has done for you. And that's why it makes it so important for all of us. And so we gather around as those who fear the Lord. You do, don't you? You gather around because you feel, uh, fear the Lord. And as the psalmist is appealing to those who fear, fear the Lord, I speak to you too, as those who are children of God, those who are, are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what he has done for your soul. This is what he has done. And even more than that, as I keep mentioning in this section, that this is what he has done to give you all that you need to serve him. Fascinating section. You know, he doesn't send out his work crews and uh, give them a job to do without the resources to get the job done. You've probably been there before. I go there a little too often, I think. When I start a project, I get into it and I realize, you know, I didn't bring that tool with me. And sometimes it's convenient if you're right there in the house, you can go back into the area where you keep your tools, the garage or whatever, and pick up the next tool and bring it back. But you know, you do that four or five times in the middle of a project, and what's supposed to be a quick job becomes an all-day job, right? Now, I could only imagine the frustration to be miles away from the source when you need a tool. And say, now what do we do? You realize that hammers fix just about everything, right? But uh, we, we go about with resources. We go about with things we need to get the job done. And here in Ephesians, what did we see in verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every, what's that mean? All of it, right? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. What more do you need? I ask you that because I want you to be convinced in your heart. The psalmist David wrote it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Are we convinced of that? Are we convinced of that? Well, I hope as we work through this passage we are. Because we're going through a list of things. We started last week in verse number 4. And I wouldn't call it a sample list of a blessing. It, It is... Significant things, obviously, but they are things that God has given to us. And David is, I mean, Paul is emphasizing it here. Certain things that are very significant to us, like he chose us. So we saw last week, verse number four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Then in verse number five, end of verse four, it says, in love, Some translations move that back and forth. But in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. He predestined us. That's our next uh, focus, too. Now, I was brought up to think that predestination was some sort of a, uh, like a dirty word. Honestly, I'll tell you where I've been. I was impressionable, and I trusted my pastor, as we're supposed to, right? Maybe. Um, But I trusted. I was young. I didn't know much about God's Word, and I thought he knew everything about God's Word. And he would teach us, like, election, predestination. 
He condemned them from the pulpit. He condemned them in public, and he condemned them in private. At least he was consistent. But he hated those words. And as a congregation, we hated them too. We thought they were just bad, terrible words. He associated this, and I believe he thought that uh, such words were tied up with false teaching. And we ought to fear the very sound of such words. And you would not believe my shock. That word was in my Bible. I couldn't believe it. He predestined us. I said, whoa, wait a minute. That's not right. That's what I thought, honestly. It shouldn't be there. But it's there. He predestined. And more, what, more than that, it's in a list of his blessings. Isn't it? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and then he starts to explain it, and he uses the word predestined, and I said, that's a blessing? That's something he's given to me? That was a shock to my system. It truly was. A shock to my system. Now, today, there might be some of you here today who who are starting to set up your little defenses right now because you don't like this word either. Uh, You're building up your ways uh, of resistance, perhaps. You've heard the topic already of the message, and you've been taught to fear that word. You've been taught to fear it. I've been in that place, you see. I understand why we do such a thing. I simply ask you to do something today. As we work through these words, listen to God's word on this word. All right? Not some pastor's opinion. But what God has to say about this word. You know, he, he, he does an excellent job of changing hearts. He's changed mine. And this word has become a very precious thing to me. And he has done great things for my soul. This word says it to me. And I'm going to share it with you here today. It's, I'm going to put two verses together. Verse 3 and verse 5. Not that verse 4 is unimportant. We dealt with that last week. But I want to put the two together so you can see how Paul is writing this passage. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. You see how they they beautifully matched, aren't they? The blessings of God in the fact that he predestined us. Now, part of this is by necessity. We've got to do a little bit of defining in order to to get this together. So it's kind of like taking this this thing called predestined, and we're going to hold it and turn it around and, and look at the different angles and figure out, what is this that God has done? He predestined us. Well, here's how we start. Let's just define the word. Uh, it's a compound word in the Greek. The first word is pro, which is before. It's a prefix, before. And the second word is horizo. We get our word horizon from it. Horizo. It's spelled very much like it. H-O-R. We would say in English H-O-R-I-D-Z-O. We get our word horizon. And it has to do with marking out something uh, setting a bound to something. When I bought a house, I bought a couple over the years. Uh, when I bought a house, uh, just before closing day, uh, a surveyor would come over to that place and they would 
get out their instruments and they'd go around and they'd put these little wooden sticks in the corner with a little plastic red flag so you know where your boundary lines were. If you go and build a shed somewhere, don't build it on the other side of that. That's not your boundary. That's somebody else's territory. But we were taught these are our boundaries. For those of you who have watched the the uh, basketball court poured this whole last week and then played on later, uh, there were there were frames set up there so that when you put the concrete in there, it stayed where it belonged. That was its boundary. It wasn't meant to spill out and cover the whole city of Hillsdale, just that square, right? We understand the concept, though, don't we? That's the word you're looking at here. It's to mark out the boundaries, set to mark out the boundaries. And some of the words that go with that has to do with appointing something, decree is part of that word, to specify something, to declare it, to ordain it, to limit it, and that's where most people start to get a little nervous, and they say, what do you mean by limit? You know, we're taught to be independent people, and we like our freedom, we like our room, and, and limit just doesn't mesh too well with us, but that's part of the word, it's the idea to limit something, but all of it put together is to do it in advance, right? To determine something in advance, to predetermine something, to predestine something. You see how it all comes together? To predestine. It's been planned out beforehand. And you might even have that in your translation today. Foreordained might be the word you're looking at. Foreordained. Now, that's just the definition of the word. Now, don't base your judgment on the word yet. There's a couple of additional things that come into play here. Like the construction of the word, where it sits. This little phrase, predestined, we see it in our English like it's just a simple verb, he predestined us, when actually it's a participle, which only means this, don't, I won't get complicated, it means that it has to attach to a main verb in order to fit the sentence. The main verb is he chose us. This is part of his choosing, in other words. It's an action that goes along with his choosing. He chose us. He's blessed us. He's predestined us. They're all mixed together in here. They all match, if we were studying it grammatically. And that's something that God has already done. There's your simple explanation of it all. God has already done it. And I like that. I told you last week how much I like that. God has already done it. Verse number four. He did this before the foundation of the world, right? So that means I had no input. It wasn't based on how I impressed him. It wasn't my merit. It wasn't anything that I had done. And I like it very much to be that way, don't you? No, yes. Some of you would appreciate that, especially if it's not based on what you've done or he didn't reject you on the basis of what you have not done. Or what you have done that you don't want to be known. God is one who chose us. God is the one who predestined us before these things. Which makes it an intentional act on his part, right? He did this. He didn't uh, wait for us. We're not an afterthought in his mind. But this is intentional. This is precise. And this is gracious. 
This is what God has done. Definite planning is in this word. He always does things like this with a purpose. He chose you with a purpose. He predestined you, the adoption of sons, with a purpose. It's all reflected in the phrase. This is what God has done. Alright? You got that so far? It's very important that we understand this. Because I am convinced that this is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's a blessing in our life. Matter of fact, I've got to show you what I mean. If you take the word predestined and start to divide it up in the number of times it appears in Scripture, you're not going to find very many references, by the way. There's only about six that this word actually shows up in. And you'd be amazed at the context of every one of them. Let's do some for examples. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse number 28. I'll give you the background for this. Paul and John had gone, raised a a lame man uh, back to the ability to walk. They are arrested for it by the religious leaders, especially because they started to testify that that man wasn't brought back to his strength by their uh, work. It was in the name of Jesus Christ, and they took opportunity to share that. They were arrested for speaking about Jesus. And while on trial, they were threatened by the religious leaders beaten and threatened and told if they ever do that again, they would come after them and it would be worse than before. They told them to never speak in the name of Jesus again. And they said, well, we won't do that. We will speak in his name. And they made some comments regarding that as as the passage uh, unfolds here. But they went back home after they were uh, threatened. They went back home and they had a prayer meeting. And they were glorifying God with the folks in the house. And as they were praying, they made this comment in verse number 28. Regardless of what the religious leaders will do, they said, to do whatever your hand, speaking of God, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They said, we're going to serve the Lord anyway. Regardless of what the rest of the world thinks, we're going to follow a God who has already worked this out by his own hand. And his own purpose is already in place. And that's not a negative use of the word now, is it? You know what we equate equate this with? Faith, don't we? We're going to serve you, Lord, though we don't know the future. You do. You've already predestined your plan, and we, by faith, can go ahead and serve you and live for you, regardless of the threat. So, you don't see a negative concept associated with predestined here, do you? They were trusting the Lord, right? They were trusting in His plan. All right, let's try another one. Uh, Romans 8, verse number 29. Romans 8, verse 29. Oh, you're going to recognize this passage. Seen it before, I know. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, oh, there's that word, predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be firstborn among the brethren. Now, what are we predestined to become? Conformed to the image of his Son, right? Is that a negative thing? No, it's not. It's not negative at all, is it? 
to be conformed to the image of His Son. And God has predestined us to be that way. Now, do you think that's going to happen? Yes. Has God ever failed in any of His plans? No. Guess what? Believer, you will be conformed to the image of His Son. How do I know that? God has already predestined it. Do you see it? He's already marked it out and said it will happen. That is just true. It's based on Him, not on us. I don't see anything negative in the concept, do you? I think it's wonderful. Because I know if it was based on me, I'm not going to look like His Son at all. Maybe some rhinoceros or maybe some other creature, but I won't look like His Son. But this is God's work, not mine. He will conform me to the image of His Son. He's predestined. I like that. Let's go to the next verse. The very next verse is the third time we see the passage, or the word used. Verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also glorified. Or justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Do you like the word called? Justified? Glorified? Do you like those words? Does it say something that God, God's at work in your life? Does He have a good concept of your future and what you're to be? Do you like the fact that He calls? I'm sure you do. Do you like the fact that He justifies? Yes. Do you like the fact that He glorifies? Now, notice all of those are kind of like uh, what we call past tense, right? Does it sound like God's already got it under control and did this work? Do you know how He can do that? He predestines it. Is that also in the verse? That's amazing to me, folks. That is amazing to me. It speaks in Ephesians chapter 2. Not only did He raise us up with Christ, but He seated us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Right? That means something real simple. Where we are today, we said, boy, I hope I make it. You know, sometimes we've had those days when we think, oh, it's a little shaky. God will not have one empty seat in heaven. Why? Because He's already filled them. And if your name has been chosen and called and justified and glorified, you're there. That's God's plan. That's amazing to me. No merit of my own. That's all His. That's all wrapped up in the Word. You see? Do you see anything negative yet? You see a concept here that, that makes you feel terrible? That God loves you this much? He's already planned out everything concerning you? I call that amazing. These are the good things He's done for my soul. Number four. Fourth time it's referenced, 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages, puts it back in our time slot, before the ages, to our glory. To our glory. He predestined this to our glory. Does that sound like a negative thing to you? It's not, is it? To our glory. Wow, that's incredible. That's his wisdom is wrapped up in this. He predestined this according for our glory. Another one. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. That's technically number 5 on our list. But we're going 
just past that a little ways into reference number 6. Ephesians 1, verse 11. We'll come back to verse number 5 in a second. But number 6 here, Ephesians 1, 11. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. You see that phrase? According to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, wrapped up in that little phrase is that we have obtained an inheritance. Does that bother you? Does that come as a negative thing to you, that you've obtained an inheritance? Most people think that's pretty neat. If you hear somebody call you on the phone and say, Hey, uh, by the way, we're, we've got to report that you have an inheritance. You say, Oh, no way. Hang up on them. But do you want to listen? you want to see what it is? You know, I, I really have yet to meet somebody who's turned down an inheritance. Maybe they're out there. I, I, I just haven't had the occasion to meet people like that. But in a very real sense, what I share with you here this morning is that those who receive Christ have received this inheritance from God. Those who have rejected Christ have rejected the inheritance that God has offered to those who will believe in His Son, right? They've rejected the inheritance. They, they've turned their back on Him. Because Scripture says we become heirs of God. We become joint heirs with Christ. Right? It says all that. And if you do not believe this morning in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do not have this blessing. So in a very real way, I guess there are people who have turned their back on an inheritance. This is God's inheritance which He gives. And you can't have that inheritance without Jesus. But here we have before us an inheritance is wrapped up in that word predestined. Now, if I start the list back over again, what would I find? Faith is attached to it, right? We saw that word. Justifications attached to it. Our callings attached to it. Our glorification is attached to it. Our inheritance is attached to it. Now, does it sound negative yet? Those are the references to predestined in Scripture. Every time it's used, it speaks of God's blessing for you. It's tied to it. I haven't found it to be an ugly word at all, after all. Was God punishing you with that word? Was God punishing me? Huh. What good He has done for our soul. If only we'd stop and see what He has done. Now, in our chapter 1 verse 5, it tells us the context of this word. He predestined us. Yes, he did. He predestined us to adoption as sons. And that's where we're going to spend a little time of our focus as well. The adoption as sons. The compound word again, it's son placing. Son placing. Kind of a neat little phrase. I'll read to you a paragraph that I think says an awful lot. The process of legal adoption by which the chosen heir became entitled not only to the reversion of the property, but to the civil status, to the burdens as well as the right of the adopter, became, as it were, his other self, one with him. How it would serve to impress upon him the assurance that the adopted Son of God becomes, in a particular and intimate sense, one with the Heavenly Father. 
You become one with him. Now, there's a great way to, to express this from Scripture. And if you go back just a few pages from Ephesians, Galatians 4, Galatians 4, start in verse number 3, you get this picture. And we all know this very well. It says in Galatians 4, 3, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might, notice there's two things here that happens, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. The word redeem is to buy them out of the slave market. He came to redeem us from those who were under the law, and that he might receive the adoption as sons. Two things accomplished especially in this verse, of what Christ has done for us. He set us free from the slave market, and he has given us a legal standing before God. Adopted as sons. But it's even more than that. It's even more than that. Consider the contrast for a minute. Just this picture presents the contrast, but a lot of scripture does this as well. We use before and after to sell products, don't we? We do it all the time. We, we're using... Uh, to effectively communicate our message. Here, they will show you a kitchen just covered with grease, and they bring out their special grease cleaner, right? And I always wonder, where do they find those kitchens? They're just so absolutely horrifying, but they use their grease cleaner, and they clean it all up, and then they show you the contrast. And of course, you say, i got to buy it, right? Because you've seen the difference. You've seen what it can do. We, we do that all the time. We do it with diet programs, don't we? We always, well, maybe we don't like to look at those pictures. But we, we say, okay, look at the contrast before the diet and after the diet. And all these other things, we use it. Scripture does that so often for us, like in Ephesians chapter 2. We have a whole list of things that speak of us before and after. Before we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We formerly walked that way. The course of this world, it says. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked in the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Mark that word in your mind. Sons of disobedience. Then he goes on to say, Among them we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Twice he brings up a similar concept, doesn't he? Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Children of wrath. That's not a pretty picture, is it? That's our before picture. That's what we were before Christ. We were characterized that way. And that's what it is. It's your characteristic. You were one with disobedience. You were one with the wrath. You were children of wrath. You were sons of disobedience. And so Paul would use it later in Ephesians 5, verse 6. And he'd say, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He presents that picture. Does it again in Colossians 3.6. It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. We were one with disobedience. Because we were its son. Now, aren't you glad God didn't leave us there? But God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of his great love in which he had loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. What a difference. What a difference. And now we have seen the rest of the picture. Not only did he, he save us and, and bring us from dead to life, from bondage to freedom, but he has made us his sons. He has adopted us, no longer to wear the characteristics of the lost, but to wear the characteristics of God. Right? That's what it says. To be like him. We shall be conformed to the image of his son. You saw that already, didn't you? <laughs> Think of this, how, how, how interesting this whole thought can be. Satan thought he had the perfect plan. When he was in the garden, remember what he tested them and tempted them with? The day you eat of that fruit, oh, you'll become like God, and you will know the difference between good and evil. And you know, the whole temptation, he thought he had the advantage. But when we read now what God has done, (laughs) he's even made us better than what Satan thought he was tempting Adam and Eve with. Yeah, I'm sorry we had to learn a little evil along the way, didn't we? But look at what he's made us. He has made us adopted sons of God. If only Satan knew that was coming. This is what God's plan was. If you really want to upset religious rulers, tell them that God is your father. Wow, does that change the conversation in a hurry. If I had time and I don't, I'd take you through John 5, John 6, John 7, John 8, it seemed to be the only topic Jesus talked about. Every other verse he mentions his Father. His Father. I do the work of my Father. I do the will of my Father. I do what my Father has called me to do. I and my Father are one. Boy, did that really upset everybody. Why? Because he was associating himself with his Father. He says, even my living is because the Father gives living. And all that's wrapped up in the ministry and the life of Christ is attached to his father. And he made it a point. And I can't even tell you, I've got pages and pages and pages of notes here. There are verses from John 5, John 6, John 7, about Jesus mentioning his father, his father, his father, his father. And then this is one last phrase. I love this one. By the time they get to John 8, it says, they did not realize he had been speaking to them about the Father. Can you believe it? They didn't even realize it. But that's what it said. Jesus said, I am my Father. I am my Father. I am my Father. I am my Father. What does that mean to us? You're adopted as a son, right? Who is your Father? Who is your Father? He predestined you to adoption as sons. Certainly not on the merit that we deserve, but out of his love. The rest of that verse in Ephesians, we're going to do this next week, where especially talk about the kind intention of his will. We're going to talk about the praise of the glory of his grace. We're going to talk about how he freely bestowed on us all this in the Beloved. But why sons? Why didn't he just make us servants? That's the best we deserve. Remember the prodigal son? When he came home, that was his, his talk he had prepared for his dad. 
said, I don't deserve to be called your son. Just make me a servant. And how did the father treat him? He called him his son, right? It's an amazing thing. Why sons? I'll show you why. Because in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And he has, hasn't he? And 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. He has given to us everything we need to serve him. He didn't simply make us servants. He didn't make us robots. He made us sons. Sons. That we may go forth in his power and go forth in his plan to do his work, right? He's made us sons. The resources don't end because our Father has them all. He predestined it that way. That's kindness. That's grace. That's wisdom. That's all wrapped up in this word, predestined. It's for our good. And it's a good thing that he has done for my soul. How about for you? He's done this for us that we might serve him. This morning as we close in prayer, I want to talk to you about two simple things. One, I want to talk to you about the fact that you're a child of God. You know him as your Savior. You received him, true? You know him as your Savior. Have you stopped to thank him for this very simple verse? That he's predestined us to be sons, adopted as sons. Have you stopped and said, thank you, Father, for what you have done? I think it's time we start to say thanks an awful lot. You know what we're going to be doing all the way through eternity? You're going to, I don't think you'll get tired of the word, but you're going to hear it a lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise be to him for what he's done. We need to be thankful people. This verse reminds me of what he's done for us. And the second thing I'll bring to your attention is, there might be some of you who do not know Christ as Savior here today. You've never received him as your Savior. What you have listened to is what families talk about that they have. And you want to be part of this family? Jesus Christ has made it possible. He gave his life for you. Because he gave his life for you, he's also paid for your sins on a cross. Scripture makes that very clear, that he took upon him our sins on that, body, on that tree, in his body, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. There is an invitation set before you. It's always available, because Scripture has set it before us. And it's available to you today, and I just bring it to your attention, because if you don't know Christ as Savior, you can right now. You can receive him as your Savior. You can come to him by faith. And when you come to him by faith, he not only sets you free from the marketplace, the, sin, the slavery uh, location, he sets you free from the cost and the penalty of sin, but he also gives you the right to be called the children of God. The right to be called the children of God. I'd like you to be that child today. If you've never received Christ to save you, that's what he offers to you. So as we go into prayer, you're either going to be thanking him this morning or you're going to be asking for a Savior. One of these two things is where your heart lies this morning. So let's go before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know every single person in this room. 
you know, those of us who know you as Savior and Lord, and we start with a mighty thank you from our hearts for what you have done. It's an amazing thing that you should take those who were dead in trespasses and sins and call them your children now, but that's what you've done. And I thank you, Lord, for it. What a beautiful word this is to me, that you have predestined it to be, that I should be called your child. Thank you for doing that, Lord. There might be some among us who have never received Christ as Savior, Lord, and I pray for them right now, that your Spirit might be at work in their heart and draw them to yourself. There is no other way they can come to you but through Jesus Christ. And I hope they see that and understand it today. And they call upon the name of the Lord and they're saved. Draw them to yourself, Lord. And if they're among us today, encourage them to draw near, but also encourage them to let us know that we might rejoice with them to know that we have another brother or sister in Christ and you have another child in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in our midst, that you have brought us to this place, that you have told us again how much you loved us in these simple words today. We give you all the glory, all the praise, now and forever, in Jesus' name. Amen.